You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 19. We talk about making a living from wildlife photography. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with me, Rob Reed, my co-host, Josh Galicki. And today, uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined by a very special guest, uh, David Tipling. Uh, and the three of us are going to discuss one of the most popular subjects uh, or the pop most popular requests that we've had from people uh, for a subject for discussion. Uh, and that's making a living from wildlife photography. So uh, good evening, as it is when we're recording this, gentlemen. Um, how, how are you both? Yeah, very well, thanks, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have I should have coordinated that better, really, shouldn't I? But anyway. <laughs> so, David, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well, Rob. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's good to catch up. We haven't we haven't sort of spoken in a while, actually. No, yeah. no. Yeah, it's it's no. good to catch up and see you. And Josh, I know we we only spoke last week because it's it's like London buses. These podcasts, you don't get one for ages, and then two come along at once. So this we is true. One this last is true. Week, so, uh, but this is something we've we've been trying to put together for a while. So I'm I'm, I'm delighted to be able to sort of manage it because I know we've all got sort of pretty busy schedules. But uh, anything new in the life of Josh since we last spoke? Or not much I, you know i had a great uh photography session with buffleheads uh there's small little oh, yeah you sent me an email about that yeah 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 i tell you i'm had them within like 10 15 feet of me in my hide my floating height so i had a really good session with them some tundra swans we had some fog and mist uh, a couple days ago here on the bay so it was good so i got a little bit of shooting in since we last spoke but uh i'm really looking forward to this conversation because when it comes to wildlife photography and you know, doing wildlife photography full time, I kind of equate it to like a Hollywood acting. Everybody wants to be an actor and go to Hollywood, but not a lot of people do it. Um, so hearing from David, you know, who you've been doing this for many years now. Anyhow, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it should be a great discussion. As I said it's it's the, it's the subject that's the sort of most requested one uh, from yeah. the listeners. So uh, so no, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. So David, why don't you? Um, to start with, just give people a, a sort of brief overview of, of your sort of career um, okay. to date. So, well, if I wind the clock back, I started taking pictures when I was 12 or 13 and realised at that state, well, soon after, that that's probably what I wanted to do when I left school. Um, left school at 17 couldn't see an avenue for becoming a photographer at that stage. So I had various jobs. Um, I worked on an estate as a forester. I worked in Sainsbury's, um, ended up in a bank for a while and then got a job as a, an assistant auditor for a building society. And I did that for seven or eight years and then got offered. So all, all during that process of, of, having what I'd call a proper job. Um, I was <laughs> I was photographing in all my spare time, um, trying to build up my stock. I joined a stock agency um, and started to make some sales from that. And then there was there was a big moment actually in 1988. I went um, on a safari to Kenya with some friends. So I was still working for the building society then. And we photographed a, a leopard sitting in a tree. It wasn't, 
it's it's still today i still sell it occasionally because it, it was a leopard that climbed up into a very small dead tree and it sort of sat as if it was in an armchair so it was a slightly quirky picture and when i came back the stock agency that i was working with were about to publish a catalogue i don't know if you remember i remember catalogs, those. rob um, <laughs> got, i've got a load still here yeah so in those days uh picture libraries sold pictures through a catalogue so um they would put say five or six pictures of leopards in their catalogue and 10 pictures of lions or whatever and then uh they this particular one they printed i think it was three hundred and fifty thousand copies distributed it to picture buyers around the world and so if someone wanted a leopard invariably they went to the catalogue and chose a leopard picture and so the sales from those catalogues repeat sales were usually fantastic and in the first month that that picture was in that catalogue, I made more money than my salary <laughs> that month. <laughs> so I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, you know, I could be, I could make a living as a photographer here. But of course, that, that, at that time was a bit of a one-hit wonder for me. I didn't, I didn't repeat that success with other catalogue pictures later. That particular picture was a, a highly saleable image. Um, but then in 1992, the people I was working for decided, well, we had a merger with another company and they decided they were going to halve the department. So my manager knew I was pretty keen to get going with a career in photography. And he, he put my name forward for voluntary redundancy. So, um, I was offered that in 92 and that gave me enough money to sort of set me on the path of being a professional photographer really so that's and you're still living on it started. and i'm still living <laughs> on it now <Yeah. laughs> now well, i made a big mistake you see i thought naively the previous year i'd gone to china photographing siberian migrants you know it was a sort of sexy sort of subject if you're into birds siberian ruby throats and all that sort of stuff mm. and i thought oh these are going to sell really well of course they they didn't i hadn't thought through the process of Who's going to buy the images? What are they going to get used for? That's a fundamental thing, really. And really what I should have done was stayed at home and photographed Robins on four candles because that was where the money was in those days. Yeah. Um, and so I learned, I learned the hard way through a few mistakes that first year. Um, and then a friend of mine, David Tomlinson, who was the environmental editor at Country Life magazine, he went freelance that same year. And he had a lot of photographers supplying him pictures for the magazines. And when he went freelance, he was um, getting articles published in lots of different magazines. He was still using those photographers to supply him with pictures for the articles. And he, he, he could see that there was a potential for building a photographic agency from, from the contacts with these guys. And so, um, I think probably in late 93, he started uh, building that and very rapidly realised that if he was going to start a picture library, his writing was probably going to stop because it was so time consuming and so a lot of work. But he, I was struggling. I mean, I was I was at the point where I was doing the classic thing of looking down the back of the sofa for for money that fall out of my pocket to sort of sort of you know, buy food, really. I was going down to my parents and having lots of meals and things. I, I was struggling. I was just about making ends meet. And um, 
he suggested I try and start this agency properly. So that's what I did. And uh, over 10 years, um, built it up. So I was representing about 50 odd photographers. Um, and that really was my big grounding in, as you'll know, Rob, and, and you're just knowing what sells and what you should be shooting to make money um, out of stock photography. So, so that's, that's, that's really how I got going. And then came along the internet and digital photography to ruin everything. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well that side of the business. There yeah. was a, there was a beautiful honeymoon period. I think really for me from about, 2000 2001 to about 2009 yeah i was making more money than i i i I ever had um but then uh it happened very rapidly but there was i think then a quite a sudden oversupply in the market and we had people like getty and um shutterstock came along people then just screwed the whole market with the with pricing and and there was an oversupply at that point i yeah. think as well yeah i think you're right I, rem- I remember that period you know that sort of when i sort of started to get involved selling my work in about 2005 i made quite a lot of money through agencies you know mm. online agencies because they were in their infancy really they were finding their feet and i made a lot of money with alamy um mm. you know, a re- reasonable amount and those those are back in the days where you could jump on a plane go to somewhere like cyprus i remember going for a week you know hired a car stayed in a cheap hotel just went around taking a load of pictures in cyprus not necessarily wildlife but all all sorts of things uh Mm. you get back you upload them and within two or three weeks you'd have money coming in from the sales which would more than cover the cost of the trip um because you were making i don't know i mean i can can remember 200 pounds or 200 dollars an image you know it was quite you know it was quite Mm. common but now it's you know, very, very quickly that disappeared. That started to reduce as, you know, the, the digital technology improved and people started to cotton onto this. Um, so, you, as you say, you had this influx of material. So it's it's a supply and demand thing. Um, so yeah. what were the agencies to do? They need to stay alive. And you understand that. And at the same time, I think we had this, this time when the digital technology was also impacting the um, budgets for magazines and and you know and publishers so they weren't paying as much because their you know their budgets were being were being tightened um so you know even when you sold to magazines you know the 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 money from those was was going down rapidly as well at that point you know because there were more people out there taking more pictures and they were just so easily accessible i mean it was so Mm -hmm. so easy even back in 2005 2006 to start your own website and publish your own work I mean, it's, mm. it just, it, as you say, it happened very, very rapidly. And there was this, there was this, this fall off, I think, in that five year period, that sort of, you know, 2004, 2005 through to 2010, where really, by, by the time you got to about 2010, um, you know, you were going to struggle, I think, was, you know, with, yeah. with agency stuff. Yeah. To, to, to Rob's point and what you were just talking about, David, like um, being a full time wildlife photographer, if you take it from, you go back to 1992. And you go through all of these changes, film to digital to now, you know, generally speaking, how has your business model changed? And if somebody wants to get into or, or to be a full-time wildlife photographer, what would it take now versus what it took back then? 
I think you've got to be multi-skilled. Um, you can't just rely on being a good photographer. I see a lot of young people um, taking really beautiful off-the-wall imagery, like like we see in the competition frequently. But they're they're pictures that will never sell or or not sell commercially um, very often. And so I think um, it's an understanding if you want to still sell your pictures and there is a market there i mean i'm still making money from selling pictures every year and i'm still selling um quite a few pictures every, every year but it's it's just part of my income now um but you've got to understand them i think the fundamental thing is to understand the market what is it what pictures do people want to use what do you think they might want to use you should you should be looking at trends so when i was working closely with um Tony Stone agency in the 90s and Gagetti um, took them over and I, I had a, like an art director I worked with closely and we would or they would be looking at trends and they would be telling me what to shoot that was going to be saleable and that really worked well and I think to a degree um, there are styles in wildlife photography and there are there are trends albeit they're not quite like fashion trends in in other areas of photography but I think it's having a handle on what magazines, book publishers, advertisers are using. So being attuned to the market. So 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 looking at all of that. And then mm. you've got to be able to, I, I, th I think it, it's a big benefit if you can write. So you don't have to be a brilliant writer, but if you can string sentences together and um, make put together articles and potentially work on books or whatever you know you're always going to have good editors who are going to be able to knock your stuff in, into shape but being able to um put ideas together and and it's i mean I, my my business is in, revolves around um selling stock pictures writing magazine articles working on uh book projects guiding other photographers do a lot of that i mean that's that's probably about a third of my business now i guess gu guiding people at certain times of the year here in north norfolk so if you've got if you're a people person and you can interact well with people um that's obviously a plus and then i i'm i suppose i'm slightly fortunate in that i I now do a lot of work for a company called Jackie Jane who sell bird feeders and stuff. And I shoot all the pictures for their catalogs mm. and I do all the videos for their online presence on Amazon in places. And that's probably about a third of my year as well doing that. So, and I, I, I get pretty well paid for that. So if I didn't have that as a, as a, as a fallback, I could still survive, but I would be having to duck and dive and push a yeah. lot more in the other areas so it's it's um it's, it's having a number of sort of uh, sort of um arrows in your quiver isn't it that that's that's the key to it because you absolutely because you, you've got hides as well haven't you locally that, you know, i've got i've got hides i rent out but i think the other thing as well if i if i ever talk to someone young who wants to get into this and is passionate about it it's being able to rebound from knockback after knockback. So when I was first trying to get my book, my first book published, I, I approached every publisher you can imagine. Um, I've got it somewhere here. It was um, 
top birding spots. So it was a, it was yeah. a guide to to uh, finding birds around Britain. That was published in 1995. But I approached every, just about every publisher I thought would be interested. They all, they all um, knocked me back and and weren't interested. And then a year after I'd done all the approaches, I was lying in the bath one afternoon. And the phone went, and um, it was uh, it was it was Miles Archibald from Collins saying, "Oh, <laughs> that 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 I Miles that that idea, David, that you put in front of us um, last year. I, I I know we said no at the time, but we just had a meeting, and that sort of idea came up. So we'd we'd like to go ahead with it. So wow. um, I think it's never give up, really, and you've got to be prepared." Nice for lots of people to keep saying no until you until you beat that door down yeah, yeah. but you, but you have got to be able to offer something else other than the, just the photography mm. because when yeah. you think about the competition that's out there and yes your your images might be fantastic but there is you know you look online look online at the things you've taken and the and the things you the things you're competing with and why is a magazine editor or a book publisher going to choose your image over somebody else's and you know, let's face it that, you know, they've got loads of choice and it's pretty cheap as well, because, you know, you can go to somebody like Shutterstock, you can go to somebody like Alamy, you can get a bundle deal for if you're if you're producing a book on African wildlife and just pick something out, um, you could probably go to somebody like um, Alamy or sort of Shutterstock or Getty or whoever and get a pretty good deal on a, on you know, a couple of hundred images and pay virtually nothing. And you as the photographer, by the time you've taken the agency fees off and everything else, you know, you, you're, you're left with tuppence hate So that's that's never going to work. Yeah. So you, you've got to be able to give... What editors like for magazines, they like, they like an easy life. So if you approach them and you say, I've got a load of pictures that you can use in your magazine, they're going to go, yeah, so what? You know, I've got people approaching me all day and I've got these deals with these agencies. Why would I why would I need that? If you can go to them and say, look, I've got this fantastic article on X, Y, Z. And here are all the images to illustrate it. And you can actually write. And you make their life easy and they go, well, that's interesting. Our readers might be interested in that. OK, yeah, we'll take that package. And, and that is what you that is the way you have to think now. Mm. You, know, you cannot just rely on the images themselves because it, it's, it's just it, it's just not going to happen for you. Yeah, and in terms of competition, I wonder, uh, and I guess a question for David, name recognition. How important is that? Because there's so many photographers out there. And if you're selling a book, you're selling prints, or you're selling a workshop, um, from your standpoint, David, how important is name recognition? And how do you develop recognition when you're just starting out? If you're a young wildlife photographer and you want to do it full time, it's probably a tough thing because people want to buy your services if they know you, I would think. But if you're just starting out, how do you balance that? Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, it is difficult. I mean, I, it's it's probably has helped me in uh, over over the years. But it it was hard when I first got this book published. This was my kind of, I suppose, entry into start starting to have my name recognised. Um, and there's a bit of a story to this. So there was 300 odd pictures used in this book and HarperCollins lost all the pictures. So they were transparency. So in those days, we had a contract that said they, they owed me £400 per transparency because they'd lost them. They couldn't find them. Anyway, 
took a long while, but eventually I settled with them for quite a substantial sum mm. of money uh, at a point where I had no money. And um, I took a gamble. My my accountant uh, said to me, you need to spend some of this, otherwise we're going to get taxed heavily on it. So I had a friend who had just retired from the British Antarctic Survey, but he'd set himself up uh, organising... Uh, doing ground arrangements for film crews and various people who are going down to Antarctica. There was a couple of American photographers wanted to go and uh, camp at an emperor penguin colony early in the season to get little cute chicks being brooded on their parents' feet and stuff. And he said to me, we're looking for two or three more people. Would you be interested? And um, I thought about it and I thought, hell, you only live once. This, I'm never going to get this opportunity again. I had the, I had the money in my hand, so... I spent then in those days, so it's 1998. Um, it cost me about twenty thousand dollars in ground costs, which was wow. a lot of money then. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot of money and, now. Um, yeah. It's a lot of money now. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, off I went for a month down there. Um, as transparencies in those days, so uh, it was slightly nerve wracking coming back with all these rolls of film and wondering whether I'd got the exposures right. Because, because yeah, no, I you know you couldn't look on the back of the camera or anything. It's just. Um, Anyway, I, I, it was all it was all good. You had and to take a boat through Drake's Passage to get down there. Was that... No, no, we flew actually from Punta Arenas in Chile. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. And landed on a blue ice runway at a place called Patriot Hills, which is about six hundred miles from the pole. So wow. they they'd pioneered this uh, landing Hercules C one thirties on wheels on 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 ice. It was really quite exciting. Yeah, but the sounds... the pilots described it as. Seat of the pants flying. I think we 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 described it as change of pants flying because <laughs> when, when we landed, it was uh, the plane felt like it was going all over the place. But anyway, um, it was the adventure of it was it was really the adventure of my life. I suppose when I look back, uh, it was amazing. We got caught in a storm at the Penguins, and to cut a long story short, I got some quite unique pictures, landing and. Um, couple of other photographers had been down there before me but they'd never they'd never been stuck in the kind of storm we had i mean we had a complete um whiteout with the penguins and i got some quite um unique pictures and when i came back those images sold really really well and i had them all in i had them in the national press and uh, birding magazines and all over the place and they sold well through getty and that really that that put my name out there um uh really effectively and mm -hmm. and it was the best thing I, I i i ever did and i was i was making good money off those pictures until probably about 2010 2011 something mm -hmm. like that um just after when the i had the capitan klebnikov started going into snow hill the Snow Hill Colony with lots of photographers on board, and that kind of blew the picture sales out the water after that. Mm. But um, well, there you go. I mean, that that's a great example, though, isn't it, of supply and demand? Yeah, exactly. You know, that. If, you, if you've got the only supply, yeah. then you know you can not write your own check, but you you, know, you do a yeah. lot, lot better than than once that extra supply comes in. Well, yeah, you know, you, you, the, yeah, the party's over, so to speak. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I did really well for about ten years. I mean, I. I don't know how much money I made off them, but hundreds of thousands of pounds. And it, it, it gave me the opportunity all of a sudden to 
travel and to spend time shooting stuff that I knew would be commercial, but stuff that I wanted to do as well without the pressure of wondering how I was going to pay the gas bill or yeah. the mortgage at the, yeah. the end of the month. So it, so it was it, a good, inve- good investment then. It was a very good investment. It transformed <laughs> like my career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I know you, you've, you sort of told me this story so, before, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still, fa- you know, it's fascinating to, I didn't know where the money had come from. <laughs> that's a new one thanks miles <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah no i i do have miles to thank for that actually yeah yeah because yeah, without that um without that i wouldn't have done that trip and who knows i mean i could, I could have been still really struggling today it's, it's really it's a really some sometimes in life you know it's these little twists and I think that's yeah. the case with a lot of photographers. Um, something will happen. I don't know. They yeah. might win a big competition or something. You know, some something will just um, be that spark that sends your career. And, and you you need something like that. I mean, for me, I think yeah. it was it was just a chance meeting a friend of a friend who ran a um, you know an old transparency library for wildlife and. We're kind of well. He he wanted someone to come in and return all the transparencies to their photographers and sort of kind of wind it up. And in the end, we turned it digital. But from that and that experience, which was which was actually really enjoyable, Bird Photographer of the Year was sort of spawned. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, is from for me that was sort of my route into um, getting my name known. Um, you know, it wasn't the photography. I mean, there are far, mm. far better photographers out there than me. Um, but it's you just have to, I think you have to be a bit lucky, uh, but you also have to grab those opportunities when they come along and make mm. the most of them. And as I said, if it wasn't for, for Bird Photographer of the Year, I mean, you know, no, you know, we, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. You know, I, I just wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't have met, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, met you and, and known you so well. I wouldn't know Josh so well. You know, it, it's, it's those sort of chance things that happen that that lead you down the path but i think you just got to be capable of grabbing them those opportunities with with, with both hands and uh, that's a really great example of that mm. i think yeah and, and you know when we talk about supply and demand i'd love to know how many more photographers there are you really don't know but how many photographers there are now compared to maybe even go back to 2006 you know less than 20 years ago I'm sure it's like 20, 30 fold in the field in terms of how many people. And there's pros and cons to that. If you look at the contest and the the level of imagery, the quality has gone up exponentially compared to what was being produced years ago due to, you know, technology advances, more people in the field. But at the same time, if you're trying to run a business and sell a product, I think it's just a lot harder than what it used to be. Um, Mm. You know, I, I wonder, David, like some of those experiences you're talking about, if, if in, you started, let's say, in 2010, as opposed to 92, how much different would things have, have been for you now, right, um, based on how things have changed? So um, based on supply yeah. and some of these things. Yeah, well, it would be very different. I, I, I don't think I would be working to the business model I'm working to still now. You know, I'm, uh, I'm... I'm really bad at, um, I've always been really bad. I'm really bad with social media. I, I admire these uh, younger photographers who seem to have a handle on it. But at the end of the day, I've always questioned whether 
just being good on social media and having lots of followers actually makes you any money. I, I'm not, I'm not convinced it does. Um, particularly, it might, I suppose, help sell spaces on tours and things. But um, I, yeah, I really don't know what I would do. I guess I would be trying to build a profile on social media and. Um, uh, maybe trying to sell stock pictures. I, I I don't know. I mean, I I'm, I'm I suppose I'm I'm because I ran a picture library. I suppose like Rob, you know, you you're dealing with publishers and people, and you you get a sense of of the how the business works and what people want. I still work to to that. So you know, I'm not. I'm not going out taking pictures that I think people are going to like on social media. I'm I'm still going out taking pictures that I think will fit a calendar or look good on a front cover of a magazine, you know. Mm. I'm leaving lots of space around it or I'm you know, I'm 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 not I, I, I like I like shooting high key and low key and intentional movement, all that kind of stuff, the experimental stuff and being arty, but I don't I'm not able to do that day in day out because i'm i'm still trying to make a living as a i describe it as a commercial wildlife photographer i'm still trying to shoot stuff that i know i can sell so that's mm. normally stuff that's well lit conventionally lit um a re reasonable size in the frame and potentially showing showing something that something someone's gone gonna want to illustrate Something. Yeah, it's so, illustrative, isn't it? It's a literal process yes, that you're yeah, absolutely you're looking yeah. at. You know, yeah. no, but you, you're not going to sell a blurry image of a bird in flight, generally speaking, unless you're writing no. an article to to you know to, about intentional camera movement and, and yeah, you know, incorporating that into you know, into your photography, and that's a very niche thing. Yeah, and this yeah. is what I think you know, perhaps people don't understand. I mean, it's even when you were talking about shooting for a front cover for example uh most people were if let's take a let's take a bird as a as an example if you're looking to take a literal portrait most photographers are going to want to try and get in as close as they can fill the frame with a bird but when you're shooting you know to sell images you've got to think about leaving like the magazine cover leaving space for the title at the top you know, going vertical, shooting, a lot of people yeah, shooting that way exactly. You know, and that's what you've got to have in your mind all the time. It's not just as you see the image and as you want to take the image. It's taking the image in a way that's going to prove commercially viable. Mm. Uh, you know, and exactly, you know, it's exactly that. And it's a whole different, it's a whole different mindset actually, which is why I don't tend to do it much anymore, because I, I you know, I tend to take photographs for me now. Yeah. But this whole this whole sort of social media uh, thing and, and gaining recognition is a really interesting area because I, I've often thought, you know, putting all this effort into social media, if I got a pound for every like I got on Instagram, I'd be really happy. But it, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's, it is just no. about building a profile. Um, but you're competing with so many people. I mean, I mean, out of all of us, I mean, Josh, you've got the largest social media following. Yeah, and it's it's fallen off i mean it, it, a couple of years ago on instagram if you would post because it was photography focused you know and you'd post an image and you know if it went viral or they're based on the hashtags you get a decent amount of likes and followers but it's all changed now 
ever since TikTok came out, uh, Instagram meta, if you will, wants to copy TikTok. So there's reels and it's all 15 second video clips and it's personality based now. So if you want to do well on social media as a photographer, you have to sell yourself or a personality of yourself. Caricatures, I hate to say it, but um, and it's not about the photography. It's about, you know, the skits and, you know, can you make people mm. laugh and you do these things and. Um, so it's, it's much more about marketing the personality than it is the photography. Um, and I don't see that trend going back to photography. I, I see it continuing that way. And there's, there seems to be, it's less decentralized now. There's only a few influencers that have millions and millions of followers, whether it's Instagram and TikTok or whatever, and everybody goes online to follow them versus just everybody sharing information or photos, stories like it used to be years ago on Facebook and Instagram. So the model's really changing. Um, and not for the, not for the, not for the better in my opinion, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about this before, haven't we, Josh, on a previous um, episode, but I don't really know how you getting into it now and starting an account afresh as it were, how you go about building that to a point where it has any influence or helps you in any way uh, earn a living or, certainly earn an element of income, you know, from photography, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with that because. Yeah. The best I see it is someone lives in a great location and they have access to spots that are amazing for photography. And they'll say, Hey, I'm at, I'm in my backyard or I'm down the road and I'm shooting, you know, so, so they'll use it to market workshops that are specialized, you know, in their area or workshops that they, um, that they lead other than that seems to be the best way to monetize it. Uh, when you look at even like YouTube and people who have so many, you know, millions of followers, uh, Fronos photo is a good example. He, uh, if you all know him, he reviews yeah, gear. certainly do over the top, uh, you know, over the top uh, with a big hair. Yeah. 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 He's based out of Philadelphia and he's, I think he's, he's got a million plus. And I think he said he makes anywhere between a hundred and 150,000 from YouTube. And you look at the time and effort he puts into it. Now, obviously, he makes income in other areas, but um, it. So I would, I would have thought, based on the amount of followers and what he does and the amount of effort, he would make more. But it's, it's very difficult to make money just on social media. Yeah, mm. I think you know, YouTube is a is a really interesting platform, and out of all the sort of social media outlets, that is the one that, uh, in terms of monetization of what you're doing, I think is the most obvious you know it sort of offers the most obvious platform to do that because obviously you get to a certain number of subscribers you get to a certain number of watch hours uh for your channel and then you can start they start well they, they start selling adverts on your space before you they monetize you but they start giving you an element of that income but it is peanuts until you get to the point where you have hundreds of thousands of followers or you're in a particularly niche area but I think most of the money from YouTube doesn't come from ad revenue. It comes from direct sponsorship of your channel. So mm. you have the you get these relationships. I don't know what Frono's photo using that example. I don't know what relationship he has with um, you know with brands and what have you. I mean, I, I know your reviews. Whether he gets paid for that or not, I, I doubt. But you know, it, it's yeah. it's it's getting that sort of brand sponsorship. I think, but you have to have you know, an immense following to make that work. And that takes time and a lot of effort and video skills. I mean, David, yeah. is, is, is video something that you, you do? I, I, 
can't mm. I can't remember you ever talking about it when we no no well I, I <laughs> I'm videoing garden birds and bird feeders and stuff almost daily so I'm doing a lot of that uh, with that but I'm not I'm not going out on the North Norfolk coast here and videoing skeins of pink-footed geese or you know whatever yeah um, so it's very specific for a specific use um, but I have thought about it I've thought about ditching the stills completely and just shooting video there is um i know that clips are increasingly being bought by commercial users and i think there is a definitely a, a you know a, a market a growing market and of course you get more money for clips and stills so yeah you do um, i i mean i sold a clip of toads crossing the road about two or three years ago to a channel four program who wanted who mm. i think it was one of these sort of farming programs and they were doing mm. something on on uh hibernating toads or something and uh and, the, and then the migration in the spring so yeah they they came across my stuff on you well funny enough on youtube yeah <laughs> and then said oh you know we want a clip of this can we mm. have it and but i had no but the, the thing is with that though i had no idea how to price it so no got, you know i mean i, I don't know what the going rate is so I, it's, it, yeah, it's per second. I, I have got the rate somewhere, but I, I've just sold. Um, last year, I sold some clips from my wood to a production company who are doing something for Channel 4 that's coming out next year. And um, I think they've used about 15 seconds or so. And I think I got paid about 800 quid, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was all right. I, yeah. I think I did all right then by the sound of it. I don't think it was eight <laughs> seconds. I think it was two or three. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. I think I've got, I think I've got 300 quid or something. Yeah. But I mean, it, yeah. You know, and that to me is actually a really good sale. And, th mm, and this yeah. sort of puts things into perspective when people are thinking about this as a career. You know, that. I, yeah. I that often wonder too. Yeah. And I often wonder too if there's a market for audio clips animals you know calling making noise because i was in i was in the falklands a couple of years ago and uh just down the road we were in this place called new island there's a, a small settlement there the national geographic crew was there filming this series called hostile planet um and they were doing a whole series on rockhopper penguins and they had drones you know and all the equipment and they were shooting right next to me i was just there to shoot for fun but i had a great time with these guys and i was watching what they were doing and I noticed that there were no microphones and nothing. And I said, well, how are you recording this? And I go, we just have a library. We have all the sounds already for everything, mm -hmm. basically, that moves, squawks, walks, flies, whatever. And they just brought, bring the video back and they go into the, I'm sure they recorded some stuff, but, you know, for, primarily for all the penguin calls, the, you know, the water, everything's already pre-recorded and they pull out of a library. So there has to be an industry for that. Where they unless yeah. they sub that out and they have somebody with a microphone, but that might be viable for some people. Mm. Yeah, you see, this, that's a good example of of having to do things beyond just taking images to try and make a business model work. I mean, you you know, as I said right at the start, if you're if you're thinking you're just going to buy a decent camera, a long lens, go out, shoot a load of pictures, shove them into some libraries, a, approach a few publishers and magazine editors and sell all your images and, and earn a living from it you know that that's that's just not going to happen you know you yeah. need to you know there are so many other things that you need to do um to, to to make it viable and don't expect to go and order a lambo anytime soon <laughs> that's all i can say 
because <laughs> you need to go and do something else if that's what you want. Uh, but the uh, one thing I would say about wildlife photography is that, you know, and, and making a living or an element of your living from it, because I don't make all my living from wildlife photography. There's just, just, just no way. I mean, as I have income from other, other sources, but um, it is, it, it does get you out in the field and get you doing what you enjoy, but it can also um, sort of, I, I don't know, quell, you know, sort of quash your enjoyment of it as well, because then there's a pressure to produce and a, and a, and a pressure to produce, uh, you know, a financial return from it, you know, which, which, which can have an effect on your enjoyment of it. So yeah, it's not, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, one thing we haven't sort of touched on yet is, is print sales. Cause I know for you, Josh, in particular, that's, that's really the only area you've pretty, you've made money from your photography, isn't it? I guess selling prints, would that be right? Yeah. Print sales and some judging for some photo contests and stuff like that. But, um, and that mostly comes through social media. If I have a photo that goes viral, <clears throat> whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, I'll get a lot of requests and I do, I have, I have my own printer here, so I'll do uh, my own printing up to like 17 by 22. I think that's the the largest I can do on my uh, ProGraph. But outside of that, if there's anything larger, I sub it out to a, a, a place in um, stateside here that does prints. But yeah, um, and that just all depends on, you know, how many eyes get on an image. Um, but uh, other than that, I haven't done Shutterstock or um, sold to any. Uh, a couple of years ago, some folks approached me um, for buying some images, which I sold them. And it's one of these things where they'll sell them to, you know, newspapers and the like for articles. And I did that once or twice, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, David, you sold a fair few prints over your, over your, over the years, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I mean, we had a gallery here in Holt. Well, I, I didn't have a gallery, but there was, there was a little consortium of us. Um, and in the two, from about 2000 and maybe 2000 and, seven something like that through to about well until almost covid i suppose three four years ago um they were they were ticking over okay i mean we yeah selling quite a few every year but i don't think that the, it's not it's not like the states i don't think the i know in the states i think josh the print sales and stuff is much more vibrant market i think that's the impression mm. i get anyway um than 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 here but um yeah um that i don't do so much now it's sort of fallen away a bit but i've got a lot more competition locally now there's there's yeah. quite a few other people who have jumped into it and um and, and so therein I, lies the problem you know it's not only yeah. online is it it's you know and no, actually but, online has, has, has made it so much more accessible anyway yeah yeah but although I think from my experience, people buying prints for their home, they often wanted to actually come and see the thing in the gallery rather than some yeah. bought offline. But I um, I think they wanted to come and see the thing physically. Mm. Well, the ones we were selling for quite a bit of money, the, the limited edition prints at least. Mm. Um, yeah, and you, and you get those sales which are kind of an emotional purchase at the time as well, don't you? They, it's a reactive thing. You know, they yeah. see it. They weren't necessarily you, looking for something. But no. they, they really like and go, oh, you know, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I'll, let, let's have it. You know, oh, rather, Especially if it's got a good backstory and you're there and you can 
you can coerce them into <laughs> in, into into lo loving it and wanting it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not very good at that, but um, the guy who ran a gallery is very good at it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And, and and even doing things like bird fair, which you and I have done. Um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, for a few. That's probably years. a great spot, right? For selling. well, uh, yeah, you, well, you you think so? It's, <laughs> it's used hard to work. be. <laughs> yeah. So it's another of those things. Where I think it's, uh, yeah, it's got a lot more difficult. I mean, when when you're doing things like shows uh, and you you are trying to sell prints or you self published books or whatever whatever you've done, by the time you factor in, you know, the travel costs the costs of the stand, um, the hotel costs, the food and drink costs, your time, you've got to turn over a lot of sales to mm. make that work because the expenses are so great. And, you know, even if you've got something like Bird Fair, which, well, when we did it, that sort of first year, they they got it started after after COVID. It was quite quiet, wasn't it? I mean, I, you mm. know, I don't know what the numbers were, but they, it certainly wasn't what it used to be. Um, I'm, I think it did better last year. But people, it's very, very difficult to get people to part with their money. Um, and mm. you've really got to be very... You've you've got to hit it. It's a sort of bit, once this sort of Goldilocks thing. You can't be too pushy, but you can't be too shy either. You've just got to hit that sort of spot right with everybody to try and get the most out of people when they when they turn up. But um, it's 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 a very very difficult thing because mm. normally you're pitched in with a load of people offering um, not identical stuff, but there's a lot of similar things. There's a lot of there's a lot of choice basically, and people mm. are only going to spend so much when they when they go to these places. So yeah. I, th I think I think I think the bird fair for me is not it's not I don't go there to make money I go there to remind people in the yeah. publishing business and in the bird world that that I've worked with over in the past that I'm still alive and I'm still <laughs> I'm still producing work and I'm I'm here to do business kind of thing and and I think that's really important so I go to I go to two or three different functions every year where the great and the good within the world of birds and wildlife in the UK sort of gather whether they're awards presentation things or whatever they are and just sort of mingle with people and, and you know, chat, you bump into people you haven't spoken to for maybe a few years. And, and it's amazing how much work I've got out of going to things like that, where you'll just, you'll, 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 you'll meet someone, it? it's networking and they'll say, oh, how are you doing? And and they say, well, it's funny, you know, I've been thinking about this. We're talking about this project. Would you be interested? And you know, you you pick up work. So I I, I think. Do you know? I think this so is a, this is this is a, this is a skill that that is being lost. Actually, this sort of networking face to face, mm -hmm. rather than just trying to um, get a profile on social media and get your name known via that, you know, by that method. You know, the good old fashioned face to face networking with people it's not what you know it's who you know in yeah. any business in any walk of life and photography is no different so that's an extremely important point i think so mm. if, you know if people are listening and they're they're looking to get into you know uh wildlife photography as you know an income supplement or as a full-time career then you i can't emphasize enough the importance actually of networking as you say david yeah. i think it's it's, a, it's extremely important thing that people have, have, have mm. forgotten about largely well, I've, I've i've built my career on building relationships with 
with publishers and, and people, I think that's, yeah, it's crucial. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, and that, yeah, I'm still working with some people I work with back in the nineties, you know, we're all a bit long in the tooth now, but we're all still going and, um, yeah, still, still, still do stuff with them. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the other thing that we sort of, we did touch on, um, and I guess probably for most people now, certainly the people that have, that have come into it over the last few years, uh, will be one of the major elements of any sort of wildlife photography business. And that's, I guess, trips, workshops, and, and probably talks as well, you know, wrap all those sort of things up into one, you know, in, you know, in, in, into one package. And let, let's talk about that for a while, because I guess while there is a, a while there is an abundance of material out there in the stock industry uh, and, and selling your images in the sort of traditional way, if you like, you know, from a few years ago, you know, isn't as viable as it was. The growth industry in that time has been taking people to actually take the images that they're seeing online and in, you know, in these magazines and everything and, and going and getting a bit of it for themselves because it's very, very, very accessible now. Um, so let, let's talk about that for a bit because I know that, that that has formed part, an important part of, of your business, David, over the last few years. Mm. Well, when I... Um... In the 90s, when I started the picture library and I was trying to make money and stuff, I actually, I was leading a lot of bird watching tours as well then, as um, not, not so much. There weren't really, in, in the 90s, there was, there was Joe Van, Van Oss in the States and um, maybe one or two, one or two others, but there weren't really any tour companies taking photographers away then. Um, and I was doing quite a lot of bird watching tours but i started to get bird photographers coming on those because they knew i was a bird photo bird photographer and sympathetic to what they <laughs> what they wanted to do um and i had i had some specialist places i went so i went to uh, i used to repeatedly go to um cuba uh india southern ireland and china uh they were my my sort of specialist places and I, I did quite a few during the 90s. And then um, towards the end of the 90s, started doing photo tours to Shetland. And that that was, um, well, so we still do those today. So uh, this year I'll be doing my 62nd photo tour on Shetland. Well, so, you, you were waving so, to me from the top so, of the NOS, weren't yes. you? Yes. <laughs> when I was in the boat with Rebecca. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's a, that's an annual thing for me. I, I love going up there, and um, yeah. it's always great opportunities. Um, so yeah, but I, I haven't uh, in recent years. I haven't done too many. I haven't led too many to other destinations. Um, part partly through you know having a couple of kids and family life and needing to be home a bit more than I. Than, than 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 I was um, years ago, and um, I think um, I've 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 also developed doing stuff here with my Norfolk Photo Safari business. So taking taking one or two people out on the coast here, um, yeah, uh, which but it's but know. it's taken it's taken you years to develop that 
sort of reputation, isn't it, to to make that viable? Yeah, I suppose it. I suppose it does take time. Yeah, I think you you don't think about it, but you, you're slowly building that. Yeah, you're slowly building. Yeah, that. I mean, let, let's put it this way. I mean, somebody new to photography or <clears throat> just finding their feet is not going to be able to turn up, at, you know, Norfolk and then be as successful as you are at offering those tours because they just haven't got that reputation that you have. And it does take a while and a lot of effort to build. Um, yeah, so no, it's, it does. It's it's gaining the knowledge. Uh, it, well, it's living here to, for a start. You've got to live here, I think, to do it um, in the way that I do it with, with various subjects, particularly, let's take, for example, at the moment, it's, it's barn owl season, so hunting barn owls during the day. And that, that those locations change every year subtly and um you have to you have to know where they are you have to know where they're where where the where they're roosting and um oh, i don't know what you've got sorry. in your office with you like a wren <laughs> Night, it's actually a nightingale isn't that beautiful? It's a nightingale, nightingale. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah. i've not heard one for years so that's why i didn't recognize yeah. <laughs> um so so yeah no you yeah it's, it definitely takes 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 yeah. time but uh, what i th what i think is really interesting too and it's a great business model if you run workshops because you'll get beginning photographers who don't know a lot about photography and they want to be taught you know basic skills or how to operate in the field how to approach wildlife camera settings but also if you know your experience in a particular area like you were just talking about david you get experienced photographers too who are coming mm. And they want to use your expertise, not not as much to get around a camera, but more so put me on the bird, right? I want to get yeah. to, I want to have an incredible sequence with a barn owl. So you kind of get a mix of photographers there. Um, and I would imagine, at least from from your clients, are they repeat? Do you get a lot of repeat clients on your trip? Yeah, or is it... I, I would say, I would say I haven't analyzed it, but it's more than fifty percent. So it's probably wow. yeah, it's, it's yeah. I have people who come back. I try and. So I do try to reinvent thing, reinvent myself every year with different tours and um, switch it around a bit. Um, so yeah, I try and do, I try and do that. So I don't, I don't just offer the same thing every every year, um, and that and that encourages people to come back. And I think um, it's picking the right species as well, isn't it? I mean. It, you know, let's get on a safari to photograph barn owls is probably going to prove more popular than a safari to photograph wrens or house sparrows or, you know, because it they're just more difficult to do and mm. you need that knowledge and you need that guidance. And people want, people know that nothing is guaranteed, but they will pay money if they think that there's a very good chance that they're going to get a good opportunity yeah. to photograph what they want. And they I mean, as, as a photo, as, as in my career, yeah, for me, it's the most, that is the most stressful pressurized thing I've, I ever do. I, I'm quite happy standing in front of an audience and giving a slideshow and whatever and feeling slightly nervous, but not, not pressured or or stressed in any way but when i'm <laughs> when i'm out with a couple of photographers say looking for hunting barn owls and the weather's not quite right um or things just aren't working well i i'm i start to feel quite um 
tense because I want to I want to give them that opportunity but you know you can't obviously control nature so it, it's it's yeah it can be quite stressful I think yeah I can um, imagine but it's also you get a lot of elation if you get a fantastic session and you know people are taking great pictures and they're happy and um it, it, you feel it's a great feeling of success so um yeah it could be a bit of a roller roller coaster um <laughs> and and the, and the weather is is i mean the weather this winter has been absolutely appalling here we've had so much i've never seen so much rain it's been like an indian monsoon so yeah well same here um, i mean it's been the same yeah. in hampshire yeah mm-hmm. so things like barn owls have been yeah they've been really challenging we, we've had some good encounters but it's been very challenging yeah um, i mean I, I i guess it do you do you pick um species sort of specifically that you know are going to prove popular well so i got give yourself I, the best I, opportunities i started these i started these norfolk things only because um people started to ask me where i was taking my barn owl pictures and could they could i take them to these locations and things and i thought oh maybe there's um maybe there's a (laughs) there's a business here in in um guiding people so i yeah so uh that first year i um i didn't really advertise it but i created a website and i took two or three people and it was really successful and it's just um it's grown from that really and i guess word of mouth is the best advertising yeah, you can is, have yeah. for that as well isn't it i mean if somebody comes away on... with a fantastic image puts it on social media and said oh i went out with david tipling you want to go yeah. out you want to go out with him he shows you yeah this, this is what i got you know i think that's far more successful if your client is willing to share the image and say who they took it with mm. than it is for me to put things up because yeah absolutely yeah are people necessarily going to believe me that I've just been out and taken? Well, it, that it's like it's like reading a review on Amazon, isn't it? It's you, you're getting it from yeah. somebody else that that has that has no interest in doing it other than being yeah. elated that they've they got this opportunity, um, you know, and, and want to help you out. I think it's yeah. you know it's an endorsement. And having been out with you, you know, with you myself, you know, I can, I can say to everybody, David's a he's a fantastic. Um, fantastic guide so if you do want to go out in norfolk um or or any of the the other trips that you run then uh yeah we're actually we ought to i'll put a link to your websites and what yeah. have you so yeah uh in the in the show notes when we when, when we sort of publish the the episode so uh yeah look at look in the show notes people you'll find all the links to david so if you are do find yourself in norfolk or you know, going to Shetland or, or wanting to, to book a trip to Shetland or the other locations that you go to, then, uh, then, then, yeah, do, do look up David. Cause uh, yeah, he's excellent, excellent guide. Really knows, really knows his stuff. I mean, the thing, the thing about you is that you're probably a birder first before you're a photographer, aren't you? No, I'd say I'm a photographer, but I've, I got into, I got into photography through birds, birding yeah. and I, um, um i still now sometimes just go out down to cly with just binoculars and have a walk around although it's quite a dangerous thing to do really without your camera but um <laughs> yeah, oh, you, yeah. always, you always see something you regret yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but if it's um no i'd always go for the the photo before seeing the bird so yeah 
but it's it's having that knowledge. I think that's what I was trying to get to. It's yeah, the field you know, craft, not, right? yeah, not yeah. in the field craft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There aren't that many photographers that have the knowledge of the species first. No, well, I, I spent my formative years, so my teenage years, with a four hundred millimeter lens and a Zenith camera and a roll of film, um, just trying to photograph stuff on the on gravel pits and on the on the river medway in west kent so i was just stalking stuff all the time as a youngster so you learn you know you learn that that circle of fear we call it don't we when you you know you can yeah. get to a certain distance to a bird before it's gonna fly and um yeah you just you just learn through trial and error and different methods and things um so yeah that's important as well i think anyone starting if they 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 should try and immerse themselves in the in the subject and be very um, aware of watching the subject and what it's doing because I, I mean and and when when I was in my late teens early twenties I did a lot of twitching and I was going and photographing rare birds for magazines and stuff and when you go and concentrate on one bird and you're watching that one single bird all day. You realise that they have a favourite perch in a bush. They have a route that they go around and come back. You, you know they're visiting the same spots in a given area, and so you you learn that that, that birds are creatures of habit like us in many ways. You know once they settled into an area. So I think it's um, I think that can really help. So you can start when you know that you can start to second guess what something might do. Um, and I think that's that gives you an advantage over someone who, you know, might not might not have that 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 gain knowledge. So yeah, it's, it's just field yeah. craft, isn't it? It's mm, yeah. it, and and that is what um, that that can be a separator. Mm. That can be a separator because right. nobody wants to see a you know a, an agitated bird, for example. It's much better mm. to show birds in there with with a with a natural behaviour particularly for trying to illustrate it in a magazine or, or a book, mm. for example. Yeah. I always said it's much easier to be a birder or, you know, someone who likes mammals or whatever to know your field craft, then get into photography versus the other way around. I see a lot of people who they're photographers first and they don't even know the bird they're shooting. Right. So if you don't even yeah. know what you're shooting, how do you know what behaviors to look out for? And, you know, without mm. knowing that you're, you're really at a disadvantage, I think, even yeah. just yeah. to create a pretty image. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was, there was one more point that I wa wanted to, to cover before we wrap it up. Cause I know we're, we're sort of in, into an hour or so, I think already <laughs> I told you to fly, didn't I, David? So yeah. I told you we'd be we're chatting for an hour and he's gone all night. <laughs> exactly. Um, was we were, when we were talking about um, gaining a reputation and we were touching on that sort of networking and and when you were you, you said you you know attending awards presentations and things like that throughout the year brought my mind back actually to competitions um and some of the people that i know i think georgina is a georgina statler is a really good example of this and and you too josh to a certain extent is that competitions for the likes of of her and you uh, and a lot of other photographers that that I could think of have actually been your sort of stepping stone into getting that recognition and getting yourself into a position where earning 
money from photography is a possibility it may not be an entire living but it you know there there are those doors start to open for you when you when you start to get sort of national international recognition through competition wins or shortlistings and i you know i just wondered you know for you in particular josh how how important you think you know that that is potentially yeah I think it's very important for, uh, you know, for the serious photographers. So people in the photography community that are serious shooters, they're all aware of who's winning these competitions, who's kind of the latest at, you know, cutting edge, most artistic. I mean, we see it in wild art, right? You know, there's, there's a handful of photographers out there that are really at the top of their game because they consistently show up and up. But, um, outside of that, um, the, the serious photography community, it, you know, the folks who are just learning and getting into it, they probably don't have that exposure or you wouldn't be exposed to those those individuals. That's where I think social media, print and other avenues come into play because you need to get your name out there. If somebody's just picking up a camera, chances are they don't know who the wild art winners are or, you know, who's trending in certain areas. So I think it's a combination of things, but if you win a contest and you're published as a result of that, then I think certainly your name gets out there. Yeah. It started I mean, a look, lot of careers. I mean, many people I know their career started by winning big contests. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Georgina, and I'll, I'll come back to her and use her as an example and the things that she's now been involved with in, you know, since I've known her, um, you know, two. Well, she you know, she just published her second book. Yeah. Um, she's uh, doing work with Nikon. You know, she was approached by them. You know, to to I think she was testing the Z8. <laughs> <laughs> so she, you know, she had all this stuff before it before it came out. You know, so she's being asked to do all these things, and it's and it's because she's become known as one of the 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 best bird photographers in Australia through international recognition from competitions so i think you know anybody who's looking to get into it now and, and wants to make a career of it then i think you know maybe consider that as well as as a way of getting your work um recognized uh, you know and your name you know recognized and, and and getting into you know getting into the arena as it were um i mean david is is that something that is that something that helped you in the past yeah, probably did in the early days. I had a few successes in the in the uh, wildlife photographer of the year, which helped, um, and that opened one or two doors. I haven't managed to get anything in there for years and years <laughs> and years, but it's become a bit like buying a lottery ticket, I think. Um, yeah. Well, but, go back to that competition thing again, don't we? If you pardon the pun. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many people entering. You know. You yeah. See. Yeah, but yeah, I probably did in the early days. Yeah. 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 And if you can get, you know, the thing is about competitions, I don't think it's just necessarily about winning. It's about being consistently shortlisted or consistently in the mix. And when you start seeing the names again and again and again in, let's face it, the growing number of competitions that are out there, um, you know, there's a lot to choose from now. Um, mm. So, yeah, that 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 might be an avenue, you know, to to consider if people are looking to build a profile. It's certainly one one other way of doing it. Um this has been a fantastic discussion uh, and I hope that, you know, people have got something from it um, and it's everything that, you know, people were asking for basically. Um, David, if, if you were sort of to sum up uh, in a, in a few words, sort of some last piece of advice for somebody who's thinking about 
a career or you know uh, earning part of their income from wildlife photography what do you think there are there sort of key things that that you would focus on now where you to have your time over again i think i think one of the main attributes you need to have is perseverance as we said you're going to have to keep knocking on doors and getting turned down but doors will will open if you're persistent enough and your work your work is of a high enough um standard and it's very easy for me to sit here and say try and try and be um not unique but try and sort of carve your own style but that's a lot easier said than done uh, i think in this day and age but um specialization sometimes isn't a bad thing i mean i sort of specialized in i became more known for birds than anything else and that did bring you know probably more work my way in the end because i i I, I don't want to go on and on but i did um for a period in the late 90s i'd felt i'd been um put into the sort of the bird box and and people didn't sort of think i took anything else and i tried to they pigeonhole you you mean they pigeonhole me <laughs> and that's the word that's the phrase i was looking for and they and oh, they, sorry i couldn't resist and, yeah and so i i try i shot i tried to sort of promote myself with lots of other subjects and it didn't really work so i went back to the birds and uh, just carried on um promoting myself and birds really rather than anything else so um being known for something i think helps a lot um but yeah perseverance diversification as well try and diversify if you can if you've got a number of skill sets then utilize them because the other thing about that is particularly with tours or stock or uh i don't know it could could be anything but you'll find that 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 what because i've got lots of strings to my bow but there'll be some things that are not working as well at a certain time and others are and so having different things that will come in and fill the void is very very useful from a an income stream sense you know um and having having multiple income streams from different things is really important in this business because you can't you can't rely on one no so no, if you have have um, one client, you're a bit vulnerable, aren't you? You're very vulnerable. And I think you're very vulnerable if you just have one string to your bow. You know, if you just decide you're just going to be a photographic tour leader or a, or just sell prints or just... Yeah, I think, I think having a few irons in the fire, having a few... Yeah. Because the, market, the think, market changes all the time, doesn't it? I mean, the stock industry is a great example of that. Yeah. Something that you know you could have earned a good living at for a very long time, mm. not overnight, but over, over a fairly short period of time, tra- changed yeah. dramatically. Mm. Well, it did, yeah, yeah. yeah. There were so many takeovers and mergers and agencies closing and and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And the no, AI is going to change a lot moving forward too. I think you know. I, I mean, so, it, yeah. it's not there yet, but. You could just say, I want a picture of a snowy owl picking up a duck and you'll get that picture. It'll generate it. It's still not, but mm. it's going to be there at some point. Yeah. And then it, it makes will. you wonder, okay, well, outside of selling an experience or a workshop, how else can you get by if folks are just generating their own picture? They just type it up and there it is, right? So it's going to be exactly. a challenge. 
yeah. it, it goes I, back. I, I, yeah, yeah, sorry, it goes back to no, what I was, I was saying about creating your own market. I think yeah. having a way of doing that. I mean, the AI thing is already quite prevalent here, Josh. We've got um, mm. there was a picture in uh, one of the newspapers this week of two killer whales leaping out of the water, and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, that's not that's not that's not just one picture. That was a combination. Well, I talked earlier, no, last year about um, a picture in the RSPB magazine of a osprey coming in to take a fish. I don't know if you saw that, Rob, but yeah, yeah, no, that, no, no, that, yeah. that was a composite of of. I did a lot of digging on the internet and found that that was a composite of three or mm. four different pictures. And but as you say, AI is going to change all that again. It's going to, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, you, I mean, look, you look at the things you can do with Photoshop now. Yeah, you know, and how that's ad advanced in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could put completely different backgrounds in now, can't you? Without a click of a mouse, a click of a mouse, and you can't tell. Yeah. Now we have people walking around with goggles on, going like this with their Apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's gonna take a while for me to jump on that trend. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the end advice is: if you want to be a wildlife photographer, uh, don't. <laughs> Do you know, I think if you have a well-paid job, if you have a well-paid job and you have the time to take pictures, that gives you the opportunity to do things that probably some of us can't do in indulging in trying to create beautiful artistic imagery, which is what I would love to do all the time, but I can't because I'm shooting to the market. You know, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm thinking about where the next pound's coming from. So... Um, there's a lot to be said for having it as a as an interest. And I, and I think that goes back to what I was saying is sometimes, you know, the thing you love can be the thing you start to hate if you have to then start relying on it for a living because it does force you down avenues you don't want to go. It forces you to take pictures you ne don't necessarily want to take. And yeah, it can, I, I, to a degree, take, take the enjoyment out of it. Yeah, but I, I think for me... I still wouldn't do anything else, and I don't, I don't have any re any regrets at all. I would still do the same thing again if I if I could. I I, so, I suppose for me, I've been around long enough. I was lucky that I started in a time when, in this country, I knew just about every other professional photographer. There weren't many of us, and um, I was able to build a business in the days when you could do that and do it effectively and earn decent money from it, which. And, and you've, um, you've had this sort of unerring passion for it over all those years. Yeah, I think, and I still I do think there's that. no substitute yeah. for that. Is there? No, no. If you, if you've got a real no. passion for something, then I think that's probably one of the most important attributes that you need. Absolutely. I think you've got to have that rat gnawing away inside you that yep. makes you get up at 4am in the morning and all the rest of it. Yeah. You've got to have that drive. Otherwise. Yeah forget it but yeah i think that's a great place to 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 end it i think on on that bit of sage advice <laughs> um, so david th thanks so much uh, for your time and uh, you know and all your words of words of wisdom you know i'm sure people have, have got a lot from that uh, what's what's sort of next up for you over the next few weeks um Doing quite a bit more guiding, and then of course it's got the spring coming. So I like I like to have the spring here in Norfolk. Um, try and do as much as I can here. Uh, then off to Shetland in June, 
Um, and then possibly Madagascar later in the year. Mm. Possibly. Nice. Yeah. Are you at, are you at Bird Fair this year? Yeah, I'll be at Bird Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not okay. not sure what I'm well, doing there yet, but yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I'll probably catch up with you there if not before. Yeah. But uh, no, Josh, right, any, anything anything new for you over the next sort of week or so, or are you just, just looking shooting in the backyard? Spring. Shooting in the backyard. Looking forward to spring. That's about it. Yeah, and, and yeah. drier weather. Uh, we've had yeah. this issues over here. God, uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be much dry weather in the next few days here. That's for sure, if the forecast mm. is to be believed. But anyway, there you go. The toads will be out, and I'll have to be out tomorrow night collecting those off the roads. I, I gave it a miss tonight with all the you know the bits and pieces I had to to do. But I know they've been picking up hundreds of them by the text messages I've been getting. But anyway, there we go. Mm. David, thanks once again. Uh, that, that's you. been that's been brilliant. Um, great to catch up, uh, Josh. You know, thanks again for your time as always. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. As I said, I do hope you've got uh, some value out of that, um, if not for just entertainment purposes. But uh, if you if you have liked the episode, do all the usual stuff. You know what to do. Comments, give us a rating, share it on social media, all that good stuff. You know, you know the drill by now, so I won't go over it again. But uh, anyway, guys, been brilliant. Thank you both so much. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you all again next time. Thank you. Thanks. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like, and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time. <laughs>